Welcome to Right Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. We are celebrating Christians who write dark fiction or horror. And you know, every year on October, I do this because I want to show how Christians utilize dark fiction or horror in really unique ways. I've always been an advocate for Christian speculative fiction, but I'm definitely an advocate for Christian horror, Christian dark fiction. So I hope you enjoy the selection of authors that we are going to be showcasing this month during Halloween. Because, as my good friend Mike Duran says, why should Satan have all the fun? Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Kevin Kraft. He is the author of the inspirational thriller called Momo. And I got to tell you something else. This is going to be turned into a movie. I cannot wait to talk to Kevin and tell you all about it in just a few moments. I want to thank you for your support of my newest release called A Chance with Genevieve. It's available on Amazon.com exclusively, so make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy today. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net, click on that pink follow button, and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host today. Kev, how you doing? I'm doing great, Parker. How are you? I'm fine. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. It's been a long time coming. Indeed. Thank you for having me. And I got to let our listeners know, his last name may sound familiar, and the reason why is because we just showcased his daughter, Tamara Kraft, the author of Legends of the Vidalshi Genesis. We just showcased that probably a week or two ago. So I'm really excited to have her father on and just really getting ready to dig into the family dynamic, right? Because the family that writes together stays together. <laughs> Not really. But I'm so glad to see because one thing that Tamara said on the show is that she learned how to write through you because you are a writer. So for those of you, we're going to tell you how you can get Kevin's books later on in the broadcast. But Kevin, I know a little bit about you because I went to your website. You have a really cool thing on your website where people can create a cigar guitar, (laughs) a cigar box guitar. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, in brief, I'm a uh, author, award-winning author, novelist. I'm also, as you uh, implied, a, a musician of sorts. I got into the cigar box guitars about a decade, maybe a little more than that ago. I was a guitarist anyway, but had a difficulty getting the right sound out of the guitars that I that I wanted. So I started researching, okay, how do I build a guitar? And I was thinking I'd have to go to a luthier or somebody, have somebody build something really special for me, which would be really expensive. But in the process of, search, of researching, I came across something called a cigar box guitar. And I thought, huh, 
I thought, you know, I, I remember when as a, as a kid, I used to make guitars out of shoe boxes and rubber bands. I thought maybe it's something like that. So I thought as a gag, I thought, well, let me see if I can try to build something like this, see how it turns out. So I found some plans and built this, uh, I found an old silverware box, actually not a cigar box the first time, because I thought silverware box would be bigger, get a bigger sound. So I, I but it was the same principle I, I decided. So I kind of went home and told my family what I was going to do. And they were kind of like, oh, okay, okay. Went downstairs and started working on my creature and uh, built this thing, uh, I think within a day. And I, I didn't tell anybody it was done. I just came out in the living room and I just started playing it. And it's a slide guitar, so that, that's that's my specialty, a slide guitar. But everybody came out of the woodwork like, what? You know, the kids were like, we want one, you know, and everything. But I found the sound that I was looking for. And uh, ever since then, I, I haven't really turned back. I just built more guitars. I started teaching how to build and how to, and I'm teaching how to play. I'm going to start a, a Skillshare class about how to play the guitar and everything. So that's, that's kind of my one of my loves. And I incorporated that in, into one of my one of my uh, fictional characters, Dobro the Bottlenecker. But um, yeah, so I'm a writer. I've been writing for, well, since childhood really and uh started my her first novel at 10 and uh continued with short stories and novelettes and then uh yeah just continued and then then finally you know about uh 10 years or so ago i i decided to to start self-publishing my work and uh that's that's kind of where everything kind of took off so yeah and so you are a man of many interests and abilities, and we like showcasing that because Christian creatives do create. We do create in different ways. Sometimes we're more prolific in one way than the other. We do influence the atmosphere around us. So really excited to have just that brief glimpse into who you are. Now, let's talk about your writing for a second, because you did say about 10 years ago, you started to self-publish, even though you've always been a writer. What was that thing that happened that made you say, I got to start writing and putting my work out there? Well, I always wanted to publish. The problem that I kept running into when I started sending out my work to different publishers was I don't write standard stuff. I don't write in a particular genre. And I like to even like mix genres and, and recreate genres and you know, create subgenres and everything. Uh, and so what the response that I got back from many publishers is, is that it, it's, it's great. It's interesting. We, we think you know, people would like it, but it's a little, it's a little unusual for our audience. That was, like, that was a persistent feedback that I got from publishers. And it's, and it's like they liked it, but they just didn't know how to place it or they didn't think their audiences were ready for something like that. And I realized, I just said, man, you know, it's like, I want to get this out there. When, when I'm going to give the people to read, you know, my beta readers, everybody loved what I did. But I knew, I knew that it was different. I, I just don't, I'm, I'm not a conventional guy. So I, I, whatever I write is going to be outside the box. So I finally decided, all right, I'm going to try self-publishing. Print on demand was just coming in into, into Vogue back then. And I, and, I, and I really kicked myself because I actually came up with the idea for print on demand technology a, a few years before it actually did, but I didn't have the money to produce it. Or to, or to create it. And it was just a great idea. And then now it's all over the place. I'm like, man, I, I, could, I could be sitting pretty, I could be a millionaire <laughs> by now, you know? But I decided, okay, well, since I, I couldn't create it, I'm going to go ahead and use, use the technology that somebody else did. So that's how I, I finally said, I, I can put my, my first book out and uh, let's see what happens. And it was a great experience. I just, you know, just the experience of publishing senior work in print, being able to hold your printed book in your hands and knowing other people are reading it and enjoying it. That was just a, that was just a blast for me. There's one thing that I find among a lot of Christian authors that I've had the pleasure of showcasing is that they can't 
box their genres. They tend to mix genres or do different things and have, like you said, unconventional ideas. And one thing we can be grateful for is that Design and other self-publishing companies give us the opportunity to share our work with those who want to read our work. And that's a really good thing. So I'm really glad to see that effect coming along. Now, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your book today. The name of your book is called Momo. And for those of you, it is an inspirational thriller and it's available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Now, Momo is being turned into a film, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. But before I do that, where did the idea for Momo come from? Well, when I was a kid, probably about 10 years old, I lived in a small town in upstate New York, actually in the village of Mitchellsville, which is just about 10 minutes before the, 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 the town proper. So I was, in, I was in a real, real rural area, lots of hills, valleys and forests and everything. And so there, there are two things that, that in, in, inspired Momo. One was my love for uh, classic horror films. And uh, I think that The Thing from Another World is probably one of my, one of my favorite movies. Uh, I, I love the, and not just the sci-fi aspect of it, but the characters are, are great, you know, and, and that's the key to a great, a great thriller is to have characters that, that you care about. So that was, that, that, that was definitely an, an, uh, an inspiration. And then there was a movie that came out in the, in the 70s, 73, I think, or something like that called Sasquatch, The Legend of Bigfoot. It was a kind of a pseudo documentary about Bigfoot, which was just coming, becoming a household name at that time. But I remember how much it, it kind of just the idea of such a creature existing thrilled me and scared me. Uh, and so I, I, I thought way back then, I thought, you know, I'm going to one day I'd like to make a really good and very and real scary Bigfoot movie. And, uh, and even then I came up with a kind of a, a, a germ of, a, of an idea, you know, and I thought, it could, you know, it could take place here in, in my town, you know, and uh, I thought because we don't have, you know, we don't have any types, of, any types of stories like that around here, even though we have all the, you know, the forests and stuff where something like that could could exist. Little did I know that there actually have been sightings uh, up in, in, in my area. Um, but anyway, that's what that, that, that's what inspired me to write it. So fast forward, you know, to when I'm I'm an I'm an adult, I, I finally think I'm you know when I'm getting into filmmaking, I thought, well, what would be the first film that I would make? And I thought, well, it had to be a low budget film, something that could be made easily. And then Momo came to mind. Actually, Momo didn't come to mind. It was a you know, your standard Bigfoot movie. I didn't come up with Momo until I started researching Missouri cryptids and and realized, you know, late. You know, for someone that loves that kind of stuff, realized late that, hey, Missouri has its own monster. It's called it's called Momo, the Missouri monster, a very singular creature and uh, with a very uh, indelible impact that he he made uh, in the world of cryptozoology. So I thought, well, that's perfect. It's an identifiable singular name and, uh, you know, it, it's catchy. So I, that's when I started crafting the story. OK, about uh, father and son. I, I, was, I just had I just started having kids. And so, uh, so that, that part of, of my life was very, very uh, in the forefront of my mind. So I thought, okay, uh, so I, you know, father's got a son. Great. They go off the cabin in the woods. Great. And then I just started just, you know, I, I wrote the script actually first. And, uh, and then, my, mom, and then my, my wife said, you know, when I, when I tried to get the movie made, it's like, well, well we can't, why don't you, why don't you, you know, uh, write the book and get the book out there. And then maybe somebody will come along and want to make the movie. So I said, okay. So that was my first uh, screenplay to novel adaptation. And uh, I had a few people uh, take a nibble at Momo uh, throughout the years. Nothing really took hold. And we had a couple, a couple of, of attempts to get it made, and it just, it just never came to pass. So about the time that I was about to put, to put it away, my son, who was old enough now to, uh, he was taking classes in, in school, photography and filmmaking and everything, and, and he asked if I would mind it if he tried to get it made. 
And I said, no, new, new blood is good, you know? So he, he took it and then he eventually he asked me if, if, I would, if I would like to direct. I wrote the script for myself and, and him originally. Uh, he kind of grew out of the part. So my, my, youngest, my younger son, my youngest son uh, was next in line to uh, inherit the role. So we, we, we cast uh, he and I and that. The script went through many rewrites, even as the boys grew. Um, and we finally thought uh, a couple of years ago, it's like, okay, we need to, we need to do this. We need to start, you know, we need to form a company. We need to make this movie. And everybody was on board at that point. I got two daughters, two sons, my wife. That's the company and everything. And so that's how it all kind of kind of came to pass. Cryptozoology is a very fascinating study of, I don't know if I want to call it science, but it's very fascinating because there are things that people have seen that are unexplainable. And Bigfoot is one of those. So is, quote unquote, the Loch Ness Monster. So is things that go bump in the night. And Momo does a really good job of having that element of things that go bump in the night. Now, I do have a question for you. You said Momo is based off an actual Missouri creature that's been seen around there. Mm -hmm, indeed. Yeah. In, in 1973, there was a, a, a rash of uh, sightings of this creature and around a Eastern Missouri, we're not the Eastern border, Louisiana, Missouri. And uh, yeah, if you look up, you find, you find a lot of information about it. But yeah, this town was, there were people who had seen this creature intermittently. Some of the, one of the first were two boys who were playing in their yard. The sister was, was in the house and uh, they were playing in the yard and, and this creature comes out of the forest. Big hairy thing, about seven feet tall. It was carrying a dead dead dog under under its arm. It was flecked with blood, which was presumably from the from the dog that it, that it had killed, and uh, it scared them to death. They ran into the house, and and their sister saw it from the window, even you know. And uh, they ran into the house, and then they called their folks and told them what had happened. Their father rushed home, and uh, you know that there there was just began this this look this quest for this the search for this monster. Other residents reported seeing it, uh, and it was it was a, quite a phenomenon. It's, it's it's one of the more vivid. Uh, phenomenons in the in the Bigfoot realm of cryptozoology because of the number of sightings, the concentration of sightings, and uh, you know the many the one many witnesses that reported seeing it. They set up a posse to look for the creature, but nothing was ever found. And after a month or so, the uh, sightings just stopped. So it remains one of the more remarkable uh, uh, entries in the in the annals of cryptozoology. That fascinates me. With to no end, actually, because I would never want to see anything like that. I may like horror, but I don't want to live it. You know, I want to live it from the safety of my home where I could just simply turn off the TV or, you know, put the book down and go, OK, that's what's over there. But it's a fascinating thing that you mentioned there, because when I picked up the book, I like to read the book blind. So I don't read the blurbs or anything. I just start reading. So I had no idea this was based off an actual sighting in your area. So let's go ahead and dig into this story, because what I enjoyed about MoMA is that it does have those classic beats of classic horror, but it does have a unique twist because there's an inspirational subtle faith element as well as, you know, run from your head screaming element. Okay. So we have this all mixed together. What I like about Momo is the slow burn aspect. The slow burn aspect actually helps to build the tension and the creeping dread that happens throughout the story. And several times you as the reader are going, please, Mark, please, Evan, just turn around, turn around. You see something that you feel something is staring at you. Take that at face value. That's me. And then 
there's a scene where they come up to the cabin and nothing ever good happens in the cabin in the woods. Nothing ever happens really good in these horror flicks. And when you describe the cabin, it's a stacked log cabin with one window and one door. And I remember thinking, why wouldn't you have more than one access point? But the character actually says you only want few access points because that helps you guard against people coming into your home, but it does get stuffy. And it's only 280 feet, square feet. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a room. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, it may be luxury out there in Nowheresville, but here in the urban area, that's a closet. But then this closet becomes the scene for something terrifying. And you do a really good job of building that dread. So let's go ahead and dig into Momo. We first meet Momo through someone else, through a man who cannot sing, and he keeps ruining Al Green's Let's Stay Together. So let's go ahead and tell a little bit about the story. Okay. We, uh, yeah, we, we start out with, uh, with uh, I guess, the best thing you call him would be a uh, accomplished drinker. <laughs> He's on his way home from the bar. He does that very well, by the way. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> he's on he's on his way home, and uh, he sees he's uh, singing. I guess you could call it singing while he's driving uh, after a fashion. But he yeah he has to he has to stop and uh, take care of uh, his business. You know, nature's calling and everything. And uh, so he goes out in, into the woods along the roadside that he where he's parked and does that. And in the process of that, encounters Momo the Missouri monster. So he's the first one to to encounter the uh, the creature and uh, has a very very uh, frightening uh, experience doing so. So that's where we open up and we go on from there. And one thing about the law enforcement officers in these horror movies, they make you so mad. It's like what happens when when he meets the creature. I mean, he's kind of I'm being very blunt. He's kind of running out with pants down. You know, <laughs> like oh my God, there is something over there. It smells awful. So. First thing he does is go to law enforcement happens to be there and then they see something. And there's one line in here that made me laugh. And the sheriff's partner, he goes, there are no bowling bears. <laughs> bears don't bowl because preacher threw a massive boulder at them like it's like he's bowling. He said, no bear bowls. And sheriff goes, oh, it's nothing. And it's just a bunch of bears. And he's like, bowling bears? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I kind of like that humor there, and that's what that classic humor does. It breaks up the tension with a little bit of humor. So let's go ahead and talk about our two main protagonists. Okay. Mark uh, is, is the father in this. He's, uh, he has just lost his father quite recently. And so he is going up with his, his, uh, his, young, his young son, Evan, to his father's cabin, the family cabin, where his father spent a lot, a lot of time. And they're going to get it ready, basically, to sell on the market. So they're going up to the cabin to, uh, to get that ready. And in the process, uh, Mark hopes to kind of, you know, spend some quality time with his, with his son. They don't have a, it's not that they have a bad relationship at all. They have a very loving relationship, but uh, he wants to take that, this opportunity to kind of, you know, connect maybe on, on a deeper level with his son, especially in light of losing his father. And I think Mark may feel also that he wants to make sure that he's not making the same mistakes that his own father made with him. Of course, in, the, in doing that, he, he comes to realize that he is doing exactly that. 
but his intentions are good. Evan, his son, is uh, he's not really too thrilled about being there. He's not one who really appreciates the rural living or the country or camping or even anything like that. He's he's been raised in the city, so that's what he that's what he comes to know. But but he's there. <laughs> he's there with his with his father for support. And you know that's something to do. He doesn't realize at the time, at the time that he gets there that he's not gonna he's not gonna have the modern conveniences like the internet and that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, be that as it may, he's there. Uh, he expects you know things to be kind of kind of boring probably, but hopes for the best and actually gets a little more than he bargained for. They both do actually. So that's where we find that the two main protagonists when we catch up to them. One of the interesting things is exploring how grief affects us. Because Mark lost his his father, it does bring into sharp relief, what am I doing with the time that I have? And he wanted to make sure that he let his son know, I do love you. Because, and this is something that you find out quite early, his father did not express more softer feelings than he did. And it's interesting because I always say that grandparents are aliens. I can remember when my parents became grandparents and the people I grew up with completely disappeared and they turned to, all of a sudden they have the patience of Job, the grandbaby can do no wrong. And you're sort of looking at them like, really? I would have got, you know, I would have got put in my room or gotten a whooping or something, you know, but not grandparents. Grandparents go, oh, what's the problem? He's okay. You know, you get like, this, I got in trouble for the same thing. You people, you alien people. So there's a scene in there that really shows that and I won't tell you what it is because it's actually a very poignant scene in the story but there's a scene where the grandfather admits something to the grandson and I'm thinking to myself what about your son maybe he needs to know this more than your grandson but he's able to be a little bit gentler with his grandson than he was with his son and so it's interesting how Mark is using that grief to try to build a tighter relationship with his son, which is a very admirable goal to achieve. You do want to have a closer relationship with your kids. So it's very evident that Mark and Evan love each other. So they're strained and they're strained because Mark is still dealing with his own issues about fatherhood and about being a father. Now let's go ahead and talk about some of the setting here. Now there's a scene in here where Mark and Evan are at a river and they're trying to catch some fish. And then all of a sudden there's this sense that something is watching you. I have always felt if you feel like someone is watching you, look to see who's doing that. And if you can't see them, run, okay? <laughs> right. They're hiding from you for a reason, okay? So, but there's that scene. But he's also teaching him some self-survival skills because he learned this in the woods too. And this is where I think Evan is at a disadvantage, where I would be at a disadvantage because all I can do is scream because I'm a city girl. All I can do is scream and hope for the best or say, Lord, just take me home, okay? <laughs> but he's teaching him some skills. So Mark is good at something. And what is that skill set that he's really good at? He's really good. Well, his, his father his father taught him how to live out in the woods or at least, you know, in the rural areas. Um, so he's, he, he's taught him. He's taught him how, how to fish. He taught him sporting, you know, things, exactly archery, that kind of thing. That's where a lot of it of his, of his skill set lies. He's just, you know, and it was imposed upon him by his father, whether he wanted he wanted to know it or not. But he, he, he came to appreciate it and how to, you know, how to, how to live in that environment. Um, without modern conveniences and stuff. So that that's what I would say, some of the things that he's, he's got, his skill set lies. 
So there's things going on here, and we're not going to go any deeper into the story, only because we want you to get the book, and then when the movie comes out, we want you to watch the movie. And before we started recording, I just gave Kevin some suggestions for distribution about the movie. Can't wait to see what he does with that information or whatever you plan on doing it. I'm just really excited that the movie is going to be a family effort. So the whole family is going to get together and produce this movie. Just when you think about that, when you look through the annuals of time, when you look at yourself as a young man to now, did you ever see this? Yeah, yeah, I did. Or at least, at least in part. I, I, I wanted to make. A, I wanted to be a filmmaker for a long time. I just thought that it would be kind of out of reach. Back when I wanted to be a filmmaker, it was a very, very, very expensive endeavor. Just working in film it was, it was very expensive back then, and it was with the it was with the advent of digital technology that filmmaking finally came. You know, and to the to the reach and to the you know be able to be be attained by the layman, you know, with with very very little money, really, relatively. I, I didn't know about the family aspect though, as far as working with my family. That that that's a that's a blessing that I didn't foresee. Thought I'd just be kind of on my own and just you know develop a core group of uh, of workers, you know, like a crew that I could uh, rely upon, you know. Uh, you know, there's so many people that I may not have known all along, but you know, came to know throughout time. So the fact that my family is my crew and my company, you know, uh, so that's a, that's a great great blessing. That's one that, that I, I I couldn't have uh, couldn't have foreseen, but I I really love it. I, I love working with my family and um, being committed to something together. You know, uh, that's a that's a that's a real blessing. And I think that hopefully it, it'll it'll speak to people out you know, outside our family about, hey, this is a family working together because you don't see, you don't hear a whole lot, a lot of that happening very much uh, in today's world, you know, the generational divides and whatnot. But uh, we're a very close-knit family and we love working on things together. So we are at the end of our show today, Kevin. It's been just wonderful having you. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you online? They can find me by name by Googling Kevin M. Craft. Uh, they can go to the Kevin M. Craft page on Facebook. And my, of course, my official website is uh, KevinMCraft.com. What are some of your next projects you're working on besides the film? Well, I may be working on some films for writer James Byron Huggins. He and I are, are friends and I love this book Leviathan if you ever if you want if you want to hear hear some some good uh, Christian fiction some of his early stuff is, is is wonderful but Leviathan is one that caught my interest and I may actually be working on uh, on on that film with him. So that's uh, something that I'm looking forward to. I've got about a lot of things uh, here, including uh, hopefully making a, a film version of Dobro the Bottlenecker, which is kind of an action drama, and uh, a small budget one called Posterity, which I'm, I'm hoping to, to do as well with through our company. So uh, yeah, lots of stuff. This show is always about encouraging authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. So go ahead and encourage them out there today. Yeah, I think that it's great. You know, the people who know the creator, I believe, should be that much more into creating themselves. As a matter of fact, that's one thing I love about the Lord is that is that you know the creator has placed within his creation the ability for us to create. And I think that in doing that, we can we can know to at least a small degree how God feels. A lot of people don't think of God as as being creative. You know, they think of him being the creator, but not as being creative. You know, God could have could have spoken everything into existence and everything. As as it is today with just a single word, but he told, he chose to take time to create it, you know, and to enjoy the process. God enjoys the creative process and he wants us to enjoy that too. So if, if you're a writer, filmmaker, a poet, a sculptor, any of the creative arts and you're a believer, really relish in that and understand that God placed that in you so that you can enjoy the experience 
of creating and being a creator yourself. And uh, I, I, I encourage uh, people that are that are doing things that are maybe unconventional or unconventional genres and stuff. Yeah, go ahead and do it. You know, ask the Lord what he would what he would have you do with that, and uh, do it to glorify Him, and uh, and He'll bless you for that, and bless bless others through you. Kevin, it's been such a joy talking to you today, and can't wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you, Parker. It was an honor to speak with you today, too. And we were talking today to Kevin Kraft. He is the author of the inspirational thriller Momo. It's going to be a movie that he and his whole entire family is going to produce. I can't wait to showcase it on the show. I can't wait to see the movie. Looking forward to it. One thing I love that Kevin said is that God has given you the ability to create. And it's a fascinating thing that God could have created everything in a moment, in a second, without a process. We'd have no blueprint to work with. But instead, he gave us this communicable attribute of creating. Creativity. So go ahead, my dear author. If God has given you the gift to write, pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.